Hello everyone! As a heads up, this episode has been divided into two parts. You are now listening to part two. If you haven't listened to part one yet, please go back and do so before continuing forward. We hope you enjoy. So amazingly, you go through all of this drama in the book and then realize you're only two-thirds of the way done. <laughs> yep, and you're like, wow, what else is going to happen? What is going to happen? <laughs> and the answer is honestly not a lot. But it's a lot of internal Coriolanus figuring things out yeah. after what's happened. This is where we happened. see huge changes yes. in his character. Mm-hmm. The rest of it is definitely much more psychological than the first couple parts yes and whiny (laughs) yeah absolutely so let's that's what i should blame it on as soon as things get whiny that's when you lose me i bet that's the real problem and i think sometimes too when like a book has the final part where you're like this is like 100 150 pages that i didn't really like out of this whole book and that's what you're left with like that's the last thing you have you're like did that just ruin my whole other experience And sometimes it kind of does. Pages is a lot of time to ruin Mm -hmm. an experience. Yeah, for sure. So I will say I do think the first two parts are the most interesting. And if it was all more like that, I think I would like things a little bit better. I still gave it five stars out of five stars. So I still Um, really liked. Ended up really, really liking it. Like I said, but I think it does play and have an impact on my enjoyment level especially the first time i read it because i was like whoa it's been so exciting and then it's like not really that exciting yeah Yeah. anyway but Um, how we get there (laughs) let's talk about how it is dramatic and exciting how we get there i think (laughs) yes lucy gray ends up winning like we said and then coriolanus is called to dean highbottom and he's like I'm going to get the award. (laughs) I am off to the races with my life. life It's going to be great. We can probably figure out a way to have Lucy Gray stay here. He won the girl. He won the prize. He won a future. He did it. And then basically it just talks about him talking to Dean Highbottom for about five minutes and then leaving and immediately going to register as a peacekeeper. And the reason is he mentions that Dean Highbottom has the handkerchief and his mother's like makeup thing i can't remember it's called like a compact compact. we didn't talk about that but basically it was this compact that his mother had for makeup and he takes the makeup out and puts has lucy gray put in some rat poison that she had and that's Um, how she's killing people. and that's how she's been poisoning and killing people yeah when she has killed people which i think she only really kills it's only two two that way and then one with the snake that's true. That's yeah, true. so she yeah. ended up killing three people with poison, technically, but two people with the rat poison. That is interesting. The third one is also with poison. Yeah. I thought about mm-hmm. that. <laughs> All the way around. That is her oh, weapon of choice, apparently. Not just her. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so Dean Highbottom finds oh, these yes. items, and he knows, and so he basically says, you're not getting the award. We'll let you go quietly with as little drama as possible, but you need to just register as a peacekeeper. You're going to be banished for like 20 years, basically, and you're not going to get a degree, and that's it. You're gone, and we're getting rid of you. And Coriolanus um, really, like, he doesn't have another choice. Yeah. He just has to agree. There's nothing else he can what, do. Nothing One he can thing, do. there's just a few lines and stuff in the movies that I love, and 
one I like here is when he's like, do you hear that, boy? Oh, it's the sound of snow, snow falling. falling. <laughs> and, he says and, that at some yeah, point in the book, too. I is think it, so, because I, I recognize right it, but it wasn't the same else. time. Okay, okay. But I feel like yeah, in that we don't hear scene, it was really demons. good. Yeah. I feel like that scene was particularly great it in is. the film yeah. to do that. And I like that he says, and finally, finally, because we don't know exactly why he's saying finally yet. That's probably our first Until hint. later. Yeah. But knowing it, you're like, yes, Uh (laughs) knowing it, though, you're like, oh, wow, he's been waiting for a long time to get this vengeance for something that is honestly really interesting that he feels a need to get vengeance yeah in some ways i would argue that he's a little over dramatic about it i can never be i can never be in favor of someone who punishes the children for the sins of the parents so i really don't like that about him but i do appreciate the fact that he hates what his drunk idea has caused to happen Fair. And that's what he's mad about. And that's what he's... Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you can... I mean, I agree that Coriolanus hasn't done anything and therefore doesn't deserve punishment, but it is interesting that he, like, sees the same qualities in Coriolanus yes. that stress him out, where he's, like... he, And then he's actively watching Coriolanus making the games yeah. into what the government wants and making them worse. Mm-hmm. So he is kind of seeing things that justify him a little bit in yeah. wanting to break down Coriolanus. Yeah. It's not future. just revenge. It's yeah. also a sense of trying to undo his own mistakes. Yeah. And, and prevent Coriolanus getting is getting in the way of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there is kind of like that does make it a little bit better for me that yeah, it's not just solely I'm going to destroy your life because of your dad. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. So part three and we have Coriolanus as a peacekeeper now and he's miserable. Hates and it. He hates it. He hates that this is where his life has taken him. He's upset because his grandmam and Tigress will probably be evicted from their home and obviously just feels guilty about that and just frustrated buy that but surprise surprise Sejanus shows up in his room and Sejanus ended up registering to be a peacekeeper as well and they both asked to go to 12 so that Coriolanus can see Lucy Gray and they do they go out there together and they're getting to know each other they're working as a team he doesn't meet Lucy Gray for a little bit after he's arrived in District 12 there's just I think it's the first weekend oh is it it? I think it's that very first weekend that they're like we're gonna go to the hob there's a band playing somebody named like Lucy something or other and I was like Wow. Okay, talk about a freaking miracle. This man shows up in 12. He doesn't even have to try. Lucy's just there. (laughs) Blessing for him. Yes. So, yeah. I guess. Yeah, sort of. (laughs) But before that, I nearly forgot. Before that, we do have the hanging. And something actually right Right when Sejanus shows up, I actually think this is a big deal. He, um, Sejanus made this kind of deal with his father in the academy. I don't remember the specifics mm-hmm. exactly, but like he arranged things so that, and his father helped arrange things so that he could leave and get his diploma. But he argues for Coriolanus to get his diploma as well. Because oh, Dean Highbottom right. kicked mm-hmm. him out without a diploma, which erases his future. Without mm-hmm. an academy diploma, he can never get into the university. He can never progress in any way, anywhere. He's just stuck as a grunt for the rest of his life. But Sejanus 
as part of his deal, gets Coriolanus's diploma as well because of this perceived friendship between them. And that's like literally what allows Coriolanus to have any hope in his future. Yes. Uh (laughs) As a a peacekeeper. And after he gets out of the peacekeepers, like in both situations, that's the reason that he has any hope in his future. And so I just, yeah, just Sejanus's friendship and dedication to him and the fact that he's able to to get that. Yeah. And huge. Coriolanus like is grateful in the moment, but he ends up just taking it for granted. Oh, 100%. All of this stuff he just takes for granted. 100%. And forgets the miracles. Yeah. That Sejanus does so much for him and he just like sees him as this nuisance. Yes. <laughs> and then worse. It's so sad. And I think a, maybe a small part of him ends up regretting that a little bit. But it's pretty I would, fleeting. I think that's possible. Say, yeah. yeah. Okay, then the hanging. Yes, then the hanging. So we see the actual scene that inspires the song, The Hanging Tree, which Bro, we hear you in Mockingjay. Yes, crazy. <laughs> so we have this scene and Coriolanus and Sejanus are acting as guardsmen and there's this man who's being hung for setting off an explosion yes that killed three, that killed three peacekeepers. peacekeepers i think that sounds right something to me. like yes, that something along those lines <laughs> three though three yes, people died specifically three <laughs> just like it says in the song so he supposedly killed three people and so they are hanging him and there's this woman in the crowd who's like no let him go he's innocent yelling trying to get to him and he ends up telling her to run like don't stay here run run and then he gets hung and that's yeah those are his last words and there's a bunch of jabber jays around and so they just repeat his last words over and over and so it's this really haunting i felt like they did such a good job yes they did like it's something that could be seen very comical like it could come across very comically when portrayed like that but it was so haunting and creepy yes. and well done just the over oh and gosh. over yeah i remember i listened to the audiobook this time around for most of the book and the narrator that was doing it the way he did it when it would come on it like scared the heck out of me <laughs> so i was really hoping they do well in the movie because i was like this is so, was so i'm like i'm just imagining that like over and over and over yeah. just echoing and off rhythm from each other different birds right. saying it and stuff and i'm like that is so scary and so they did it yes amazing. they did a great job and then like the shot where they have like the dead tree and like yeah. all the birds flying around flying. it doing it yeah. it was very well oh. done so that all happens and then we have him go and see lucy gray singing and they meet up and it's really exciting for yay. both of them yay not gonna spend too much time on that because there's not really a lot to focus on besides the fact that yeah that they found each other so quickly yeah. was a miracle and that both of them are still willing to interact with each yeah, other after the trauma. Yeah. yeah. Um, you do have characterization in the sense that he sees more of the natural man, I think, because he doesn't actually meet up with Lucy that first weekend because the fight breaks out. Remember? Oh, that's right. Yeah. And so, mm-hmm. and he talks about how like during the daytime at the hanging, he was worried about the restless crowd, but they didn't do anything. But then as soon as it was nighttime and no one was watching them, and they were in shadow, this huge fight broke out and everybody freaked out and are throwing random punches. So it kind of like, we see that like solidification of his like view of humanity and Mm -hmm. their violent tendencies as soon as they're not under capital 
control. A couple different things happen throughout most of this part. It's focused both on time with Lucy Gray and kind of getting to know her a little bit more, but also on this situation where they're gathering mocking or they're gathering mm. jabber jays but also there's mocking jays as well that i think they want to study a little bit they're supposed to be yeah. gathering 50 of each yeah that's right but the that's mocking right. jays Just are proving to harder to catch information <laughs> yes and that really irritates Coriolanus. and he yes he develops a hatred for the mocking jays very fast which kariana and i talked about and felt like it was a little bit like yeah, on the nose about like it. it i don't like um, the super obvious references yes. to like oh Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. everything about Coriolanus is just built to hate Katniss. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, I think in the film, okay. they that was one thing they changed that it's made more sense. Better. Yeah, that worked better for me yeah. as far as his developing hatred for the Mockingjays. But it is, I mean, it is developed and it is justified. There are reasons for it. It's yes. just like really extreme, really fast. Yes. <laughs> yeah. For no it's apparent true. reason. But it's and okay. <laughs> I'm like, you could come up with all sorts of arguments. I still don't feel like I like it, but I'm yeah. like, I, a part of it it's could be just like he just has a lot of pent-up anger and he's just directing (laughs) them at the Mockingjays to start with and then it develops more just yeah just association more than anything but anyway either way they're gathering these Mockingjays and Jabberjays and these become really important later on as well but he does develop this hatred for the Mockingjays and he does have an interest in how the Jabberjays work so he he does ask yeah he thinks they're interesting and so he asks like how they work and he's also just trying to get a good in with Dr. Gall and Dr. Gall's not there but her some of her scientists are there who worked with the Jabber Jays originally and so and he still wants to look good so he's yes. asking questions and pulling out his society talk and exactly. <laughs> trying to charm them developing charm connections the yeah yep. so he that's what's he, what he's doing but it does get him some more information that comes into play in a little bit also during this time he ends up taking an officer test to see if he could possibly move up in the ranks. And he's like, well, if I can't go to the university, then I may as well try to rise up in the ranks as a peacekeeper. And that's another way I can reach my goals. It's actually really cute. I like it. A, he's allowed to take the officer test because he has his diploma. Yes. (laughs) And B, I think it's cute that he, because his father is a really, is a renowned military general, Mm -hmm. right? Who gets a lot of respect. And so he actually gets kind of excited about the whole officer thing. Yeah, it's true. He's willing to say like this part of my life is over but here's an opportunity to do something over here and I can grow in the ranks and become like my father and have power and respect and Mm -hmm. and so I I really like actually the fact that he's like willing to try to turn his life in that way and make something good with what he's been given. He's definitely very proactive. Yeah. And I feel like it's interesting thinking about the interaction between proactivity and expecting miracles. Hmm. Because, I mean, expectation is a little bit of proactivity. Yeah. And seeking. And, yes. Seeking, seeking and expecting Absolutely, miracles. even more so. Yeah. Um, and so the fact that he is proactive is a really positive thing if he was proactive in recognizing the miracles and utilizing the miracles yeah. the way they should be. But he is proactive in a way where he, like, takes these blessings and miracles and manipulates them instead of yeah. using them the and way he they seeks should his be own used. miracles yeah. like he 100 percent does that yes. he just mm-hmm. gives himself the credit yes for them. yeah he yeah. D- puts no credit on god 
And he also doesn't put credit on other people, even if he doesn't believe in God. Like, he has no gratitude. Yes. There's zero gratitude. And I think a huge part of seeking and expecting miracles is being able to have gratitude for them Mm -hmm. to make them as effective as they could be. Yeah, to recognize them as something outside of your own power to be grateful for. Because that makes you want to be proactive in the right way, in Mm -hmm. a way that faces God, faces the person who gave it to you when you have gratitude. If you don't have gratitude, then of course you're going to kind of manipulate the situation. If you are proactive in general, then yeah. I wanted to bring a little bit of scripture into that actually, because I, so I read in preparation for this, I read the talk given by Elder Dieter F. Uchtdorf in this just recent, very recent general conference. It's called The Prodigal and the Road That Leads Home, and it's really primarily about the prodigal son's story, and he's kind of exploring dis- different aspects of it throughout his talk. It was interesting reading it in the with the perspective of this book and what we were talking about with Expecting Miracles, because a lot of it he talks about how the son, he wants to get the inheritance now, and he sees it as a way to be free from the principles and rules of the culture of his youth. He could finally make his own choices without being influenced by his parents. And there's no more guilt. That's what he's looking for. And so he's expecting this miracle, this blessing of his inheritance to come now. So at the wrong time. And he's expecting to just use it however he wants for his own benefit. And I think when we're expecting miracles, it can be easy to fall into that where we're like, I want it now, even if it's the wrong time, like God knows the right timing for miracles. And so it could be the wrong time. And it could be that we're not going to use those blessings and miracles the way God wants us to because of the timing in part as well. And I think with Coriolanus Snow, he wants the miracles now. He wants to just get to university. And so that's what makes him not as grateful when the miracles do come because these miracles are coming, but they're not happening as fast as he wants them to. And he's they're not happening exactly the way he wants them to. And so that makes him upset. And so when they do still come, he's more focused on that than he is on the gratitude. And then like we've been saying, he uses them for the wrong ends. He's using them like this inheritance was given to him by his father. It was something his father wanted to give to him. He just wasn't going to give it to him then, and he was hoping he would use it for a positive thing, but he doesn't. The prodigal son doesn't. And that's really the same with Coriolanus Snow. He's not using it the way his father in heaven intended or getting at at the time that he intended. Yeah, I feel like President Nelson, like, kind of some in just one sentence (laughs) in in that talk, the power of spiritual momentum. He says each of these miracles, he's talking about different miracles in the scriptures and says each of these miracles took time and may not have been exactly what those individuals originally requested from the Lord. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The Lord works in his own time and in his own ways. And it's really easy to, I like what you're saying in that like Coriolanus struggles with being grateful because he's not getting what he requested when he requests it. and it's yes. coming in these kind of roundabout ways that are taking longer it makes me want to think about like am i less grateful for miracles that come after when i really wanted them to come yeah. and i think i can think of a couple of, of examples yeah. <laughs> where where i am i actually just today that's so interesting i took like five minutes today during work it was slow and nothing was going on and i thought i'm going to pray a prayer of gratitude and nothing else. I'm just going to take five minutes and just feel grateful. 
and there's a larger context behind that for for why I decided to do that but that's what I decided to do and one thing that I specifically brought up was my education because I'm really really grateful for my education but you know very well (laughs) that lately I am have not been (laughs) because I really just want it to be over (laughs) and so I've spent a really long time in college and I'm just really tired of being there and so it's really easy for me to be like I hate school I don't care about my graduation I don't care I want it to be over I I don't care if I fail this last class I'm in I'm just gonna take what I have and go and I'm Mm -hmm. sick of it and I'm done and so I'm actually like now feeling kind of proud of myself Way to go. <laughs> that I took the time and was like, Heavenly Father, I know that I've been struggling and I know that this has been hard for me, but I really am grateful for what my education has done for me and the fact that I have it. So I think that's one really mm-hmm. poignant example to me of a place where I have not been grateful for what I have yeah. because of just kind of the timing and the way it's gone in a direction that I haven't not quite necessarily wanted. Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, so I could probably think of other examples too, but but that gives me something to ponder that I appreciate. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I was like, I liked it too when I was researching that because I think it's so easy for me and I, th- I think this is something it's going to take me longer than just this study to <laughs> really infiltrate in my brain. But um, understanding that God's timing is the right timing for things. It's so easy to be like, oh, it's the Lord's timing. And you're like, oh, why is it then? (laughs) Why God's timing? (laughs) And I think sometimes we're just like, oh, he's just testing me by making me wait. Where it's like, maybe it's just really, there's a lot of reasons why it can't happen right now. such a painful point, Tori. (laughs) I hate that. That's why I said it's going to take me a long time to get this to like really like settle into my brain. But it's the right, it's not just just like what he wants yeah. it's actually like resolutely when it's correct. supposed to happen yes. <laughs> like it's the thing that's gonna be like this is the timing that is going to be the best most successful timing yeah. for it literally for you yes <laughs> literally for you and yeah because wow. i think with coriolanus like going back to the story he mm-hmm. a lot of this stuff gets in his way and stuff and these miracles just kind of keep him going and to him, he's like, why can't I have just gotten this faster? But in a lot of ways, it's allowing him these multiple opportunities to choose which path he's going to go on. Yeah. That's what the miracles and their timing is causing for him, is allowing him these chances to come unto Christ if he so chooses. Yeah. He just doesn't. Right. And that's really sad. But that's what those miracles are allowing for right. him, is opportunity. No, during this summer that he spends as a peacekeeper, he has this amazing experience that he's never had before with the opportunity to see the districts. He's never seen the districts before. Mm -hmm. He has the chance to see that they're just people like him. They go out, they get drunk together, they party, they have a good time. Like they're just like him and his friends, you know? And he even, part of his squad is from the district. So he has this really, really close personal contact with lots of people from the districts. He gets the chance to explore nature. He's Mm -hmm. lived in this city and suddenly he gets to be in God's creation and swim in a lake and dig in the dirt. And that doesn't have to be his favorite thing, but he gets the chance to have so many different experiences that could help him respect people and humanity and God 
better and instead he just goes the opposite direction and and yeah yeah again chooses chooses to focus on the negative on the negative yes because there is negative Mm -hmm. there There is is. negative there There always is is. yeah this that's like the point of this life is that there's good and evil in this life so but it's but yeah he decides to take those experiences look at the bad parts of them and say and go down a dark path yeah. with it. Mm-hmm. Which brings us into our next really big moment, which is when there, okay, there's kind of two different scenes, but they both come together in a sense of getting to know things about Sejanus that really impact Coriolanus. Mm-hmm. So the first one, Coriolanus realizes that Sejanus isn't telling him the truth about everything. So he's noticed Sejanus talking to some of the men in the district, and he's kind of questioning that because he knows Sejanus is very sensitive to the, to the district's plight. And he also ends up finding money in Sejanus's stuff that his father must have given him, and he's acting like he doesn't have any money. And so he's like... What are you using this money yeah, he for? Why are you lie, lying yeah. about that? And he ends up having this conversation with Sejanus about it. And Sejanus admits that he's actually helping the rebels within the district to save the woman who earlier during the hanging tree scene was the one calling out to the man being hung. And then she ends up getting thrown in prison. And so their goal is to break her out and run away and have several of them run away from the district. And Sejanus, like I said, is helping them do this. And they're working on getting some of the Jabberdate jabber jays together during this and Coriolanus notices this and like I said he's been taught by one of the scientists how the jabber jays work how you're able to get them to record and then play that later on and so he ends up sneakily getting one of the remotes and having one of the jabber jays record their conversation and it's like i said sejanus is admitting that he's basically rebelling against the capital and coriolanus decides he has this moment where he's like am i actually going to do this i could just delete this recording right now and we don't even need to worry about it but he ends up sending it to dr gall and knowing that she's probably going to listen to it and they'll find out and stop it and so we end there and then we go to a performance by lucy gray i should say she's part we learned that she's part of the covey which is basically a group of traveling performers at least they were a group of traveling performers before the war and then with the way the capital has things set up everybody's just isolated in their own districts and so they these people these kind of more nomadic people have been shoved into whatever district they were closest to i'm assuming and so for lucy gray and her part of the covey that is in district 12 and that's why she's there even though she doesn't really see herself as a part of district 12 so they are performing and that's what coriolanus has been going to see her in a lot that's where he first sees her and everything is in this kind of it's in the hob i think which yeah. is which we know about yes uh-huh. <laughs> it's the which black is market in, where yeah. katniss mm-hmm. sells things yeah so they're in there and they're performing Forming and the peacekeepers come and stuff. And while she's singing, Coriolanus notices that Sejanus has left. And so he, and he, then he sees him walking down this other like hall or something. And so he ends up following him only to catch him in this secret little room with 
some district men who have a bunch of weapons and there's actually a man that comes up behind him with a gun pointed at him and so Janus is trying to be like oh no he's with me it's fine um but then Lucy Gray she's finished her performance and saw Coriolanus go in there and so she ends up following him and is also in there with him and they're both getting this gun pointed at them one thing leads to another basically it's Billy Tope who was Lucy Gray's boy, previous boyfriend who betrayed her with Mayfair, the mayor's daughter, and had all that drama that caused her to get into the Hunger Games in the first place. And so Mayfair is actually there as well and makes comments and she basically is threatening to turn them in. Which is pretty stupid. Yes, super <laughs> stupid when they have guns, literally like, girl, Bunch of desperate people with so weapons. It's pretty idiotic. Anyway, but she's like, I'm gonna turn you into my dad. And then Coriolanus is like, "Uh uh-uh, no, you're not. And so he takes the gun and shoots her. Literally shoots her. Literally shoots her dead. dead. She's dead. (laughs) Mayor's Um, daughter, dead. (laughs) Yes. And so then Billy Tope is like, oh my gosh, what's happening? And then he's like, oh, I'm going to take you guys down with me with all of this. You're going to die too. And so then this other guy who is kind of his co-operative within this rebel plan ends up shooting him because he was threatening to expose them as well. So we have two dead bodies there now. And so Coriolanus is like, Lucy Gray, you go perform and I'm going, we're going to deal with this. The guy, I can't remember, I wish I could remember his name. Spruce. Spruce, thank you. I was like, I know it starts with an S. Spruce is the one who shoots Billy Tope and he's like, I'll take these guns and we're gonna, I'm gonna go hide them so that nobody can trace it back to us and we just need to stay cool. So they're having Lucy Gray perform and then having Coriolanus and Sejanus get out of there so that they have an alibi for the whole situation and then they're gonna take the body somewhere else. So they do all of this and it seems like they might have gotten away with it, but Sejanus is not very good under the pressure. Obviously he has this very strong moral compass and so he's just breaking over keeping the secret. And then the peacekeepers, they do find the bodies and the peacekeepers are out looking for whoever did it, trying to find evidence and they end up taking Spruce in. And so they're getting really nervous like, oh, if they torture him, is he gonna tell them anything about us and all that jazz? Well, he probably I don't think it makes it very clear whether he did say anything about Sejanus or not but we know that Coriolanus did and Sejanus does get arrested for conspiring with the district rebel leaders and so they have another hanging and Sejanus is one of the people being hung and Coriolanus is just really struggling because he knows he sent that Jabberjay and that that's probably what really brought Sejanus specifically down and it's a really sad back to the Jabberjays and their creepy little repetition it's really sad it's brutal his because he called out for his mom is his last word. calls out ma. Yeah, ma. The Jabber Jays are repeating ma. Over and over and over again in his same voice. Yeah, which is the other thing. It's like they record in the same voice and tones and stuff. It's not like just the words. So. And that might also be part of why I was weirded out by the fact that Coriolanus hated the Mockingjays so bad but then liked the Jabber Jays so much. Because I liked your point that like one is capital and one is kind of this like intermixing that he thinks Mm -hmm. is inappropriate, you know, and he likes the capital and he doesn't like the kind of the corruption of it. 
but like he has these traumatic events connected with yes, the Jabber Jays. Specifically, yeah, especially <laughs> up to like, this point. Yeah. yeah, I'm like, what the crap, dude? Why do you like these Jabber Jays so much? Like he is, he's horrified by them. He doesn't like the, <laughs> yeah. he doesn't mm-hmm. like the words. He doesn't like the creepiness of it. And I'm like, I feel like we're kind of casually ignoring like these events that should be affecting him more Mm, yeah (laughs) but it's fine yeah i agree it's fine although i will say i will (laughs) will say with the jabber jays he's interested in them but i don't ever get the feeling he loves them he's just like they're a tool to him more than anything okay but i think it does connect back i mean not just to the capital itself but to the control versus chaos whereas the jabber jays have more control because it's like you record they say it like it's right. just one A to B, whereas the mocking jays are like musical. They're still like more like birds, but they still have like right incorporate this repetition. And so I think that symbolically, yeah. I don't know. I think I there's probably a lot a of little things, bit, but anyway. But then with the Jabber Jays, it's still because I I can agree. Like you can hit record, they record, you play, they play. Right, mm-hmm. that kind of level of control. But when they're not in record mode, they just pick up whatever they want, which is what they're doing at the mm-hmm. hanging tree, right? And so it's this, like, chaos of, like, them choosing what to say and then all of them saying it at the same time. And it's, yeah. like, chaotic and frantic and nobody has any control over it. So that yeah. was, I was kind of, I thought about that briefly, but then I was like, but even that still kind of goes against yeah. that core principle. It's true. But I agree that there's never, like, a love for them, I yes. suppose. It's just an interest. Yeah, so that's and how they work and he likes that they break up the monotony of his routine taking care of Uh oh that was the thing i was gonna say was he is more able to get used to things that he feels are useful Mm. and jabber jays are useful mocking jays aren't yeah and so mocking jays are just they repeat just like jabber jays not just like jabber jays but you know in the same realm right but you can't use them Yeah, yeah it's useless Chaos. And at the same time, a corruption Whereas, of the capital. Yeah, exactly. So I think it's a lot of things. Yeah. Again, again, I think the extremity it's of his emotions extreme, is yeah. a little ridiculous. Especially at that, at the point where he has it. Yes. And then especially combined with the fact that he doesn't have any kind of similar reaction to the Jabber Jays. I'm yes. like, yeah, okay, whatever. I'm like, okay, <laughs> if that's the way you feel. Yeah. It sounds like when I talk about it, it sounds like it bothers me more than it does. It's just one thing where I'm like, what? Yeah, <laughs> a little silly. Yeah. A little silly. So Sejanus is dead. Sejanus and is dead. We have and Coriolanus has not been ratted out. Yeah, which he is hasn't. Crazy. But he's also paranoid. He's, he's like, super it could stressed. happen anytime. Basically, and, it, and he's expecting he'll get off. Too. Yeah. Yeah. So we also have him talk to Lucy Gray, who Lucy Gray is being stalked by the mayor because the mayor thinks that she did it just because of the past with Mayfield and Billy Tope and her. So she's like, I'm going to get killed by this mayor no matter what. Like, I just am. And she's still partway in the games. In the book, it doesn't make it super, it doesn't like say it out loud, but you can tell like when someone steps up behind her, she like jumps really aggressively and... She's very much in survivor mode and traumatized from the games like everybody else gets traumatized by the games. And in the movie, she actually says, I still have one foot in the games. So the fact that the mayor... Oh, she does? Okay, for some reason, I couldn't remember that line in the the book. I just remember the 
her jumping when right. he comes in. But either way, either way, she definitely is not all there. And so with the mayor stalking her, she's like, I'm going to get killed. And she's very nervous. So she decides. She's probably not wrong yeah, either. Honestly, honestly, I believe mm-hmm. it. <laughs> I mean, he basically tried to kill her already. Yeah. With the, sending her into the Hunger Games. And it so. makes sense that he would blame her for his daughter's death. And at that point, all bets are off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so she's tells... Coriolanus that she's going to run away and so just letting him know saying goodbye but he because he's paranoid too about his own possibility of survival he says oh I'm going to go with you then so she ends up telling him via her performance of where to meet her by singing the hanging tree song which she wrote (laughs) earlier in this I know crazy um yeah if you only watched the movies uh, we were, or the movie, we yes. were told by somebody who had only seen the movie that it wasn't clear that she wrote the song. And when we saw it, we kind of agreed with that. So if you've only seen the movie, she wrote the song. Yes, she's not just singing <laughs> we it. We promise. She wrote it. In the book, it. it's obvious. Yes. <laughs> she wrote it. Uh-huh. And some of you, if you've seen the movie, may have just assumed that. May have guessed that. Because yeah. I know I saw someone review it on YouTube earlier today, actually. Um, who, who was like, oh yeah, he, she wrote the song and neither of them okay. had read the book all the okay. way through. So right. just wanted but, to make it clear. Yes, I'm sure there's other people who don't pick I up on that. I think it's cool. I think, yes, <laughs> it is cool. And it also adds to the haunting aspect of Lucy Gray, which we'll yeah. get into in a moment. Oof. I think that's the one of the couple parts of the ending that I love yes. is her fate. Okay, so. <laughs> 100%. You um, love it. So they decide to meet at midnight by the hanging tree, which is in the song. And so they go and meet up and then they're going out and they're going to this cabin in the woods that's by the lake, which Katniss and Gail go to at one point. Katniss's oh. dad shows her. They meet at dawn because he gets up in the morning and then gets called into the commander's office. And that's oh, when he learns about... Oh, that's right. Thank you for reminding yes. me of that. Okay. <laughs> Back up. They don't meet at midnight. <laughs> they meet at dawn yes. when Coriolanus actually goes to the officer's tent and is told that he's going... He has a position in the officer's school or whatever, the yeah. officer's training. They're going to send so... him to District 2 yes. to be trained mm-hmm. as an officer. And it's going so to be like the it. next day. Like, it's yeah. about to happen um so he has this hope but he still is like well they could still find the guns basically that's what he's worried about the guns have his fingerprints so as soon as they find the guns yeah he's a dead man he's out and so he's like they're gonna find the guns and i won't be able to go to district two anyway or even if i do i'm gonna be killed there like it won't matter where i go they're just gonna take care of me basically yeah but he has this sense like it makes it really clear that if the guns weren't out there he would go like he's only running away with Mm -hmm. lucy gray because that's his only option yes that's yeah he feels like they're gonna catch me so it doesn't matter what happens beyond that yeah which i think is super important for understanding the direction his character goes yes and where he's at (laughs) right now as well yeah Mm -hmm. So like I said, fast forwarding again, they end up going to this cabin that Katniss's dad shows her in The Hunger Games. So we've seen this cabin before. And also within this book, they had like this little like swim party kind of thing in the lake and they have gone to this cabin. So he's been there before. Which is trippy. 
trippy yes. to imagine him hanging yes. out at Katniss's lake Super and Super interesting, <laughs> yep. And we talked about how that's probably how he knew to have a camera there to see yeah. Katniss's kiss with Gail and that he mentions later on that he saw in the cabin um, is because he's actually been there he before. personally knows yes. about it, which I, is just yeah. mind-blowing Crazy. to me. Crazy. Uh, and she never even knows part of me wants Katniss to read this book. Right? <laughs> Katniss, you need to know the history behind this cabin. You're never going to go there again. She's too traumatized to appreciate it anyway. She doesn't deserve that. She doesn't deserve that knowledge because that's going to just traumatize her even more. That's that's a good point. She may as well just not know. Never mind, Katniss. You can live in blissful ignorance. (laughs) You have enough trauma to deal with. Anyway, they go inside the cabin and while they're there, they've actually caught some fish and they're trying to cook it. Coriolanus knows notices behind the door peeking out is the guns that they had killed those two people with and so he's like oh my gosh they're right here i could just throw them in the lake and like be safe like nobody's gonna get them out of there nobody's gonna know to look there i love the fact that you've connected agency so perfectly with this idea of miracles because now i'm thinking in terms of like this is an awesome like miracle for him that like opens up possibilities and he has like this chance to make different decisions based on the fact that these guns that could have been anywhere are literally just right here. <laughs> yeah. He has multiple things he could do. Yeah. One of them going to, with Lucy Gray and just ignoring it. He could get rid of them. Yeah. He could get rid of the guns and leave and have no reason to ever suspect that anybody would come after him or yep. care about him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So he can go with Lucy Gray. He can get rid of them and go back to the Capitol mm-hmm. and do things. And he could just like let Lucy Gray go yeah. and have good things and be like, hey, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go back to the Capitol you right. can go because he's kind of thinking like I already know I freaking hate this like he hates right. fishing he hates living in the outdoors the like dirt. he's just miserable he, he doesn't lived know how in to this do great, anything yeah <laughs> he doesn't know how to do anything he's just lived in this penthouse lifestyle his whole life and so he's like I can't yeah. I don't want this he doesn't want it this is not what he wants so he could just go quietly back to the capital and let and Lucy really, Gray go Lucy Gray is his last loose end but really it's his word against hers and yes. he gets rid of the guns exactly like who's gonna believe her and again like <laughs> Like, she's not necessarily going to say anything right. about him. Right, if she says like, anything. Yeah, yeah, which she most likely won't. Right. Like, that's not who she is as a person. Right. She doesn't even like the people and in the district. And she has to capital. get out of Why there. Why would she tell them? Yeah. She's in direct danger. She's yeah. not going to go back. Like, even if she does say, oh, it was him, like, again, they're not going to necessarily believe her. And if he throws the guns in the lake or is like, he could be like, just for my own safety, I can have you go, but I'm going to, like, sneakily put this so you don't even know. That way I just... Right. feel more comfortable or whatever yeah. so you can't bring the gun back and be like look it has his fingerprints on it right. like I'm sure that's his concern but if he throws him in the bottom of the lake what she's gonna do like she's not gonna swim to the very right. bottom of the lake and get it yeah. like no he-, he has so many he has so many options to like he has this peace and comfort from mm-hmm. knowing where the evidence is and he has so many directions he could go yes. with it to change his fate and so what he ends up doing is the worst case scenario <laughs> because he does choose to go back to the Capitol, but he also cho- chooses to take care of Lucy Gray out of 
concern for her being a loose end that Which potentially could get in his is, way yeah he has a point a but i'm like to that yeah I, I don't want to make it sound like yeah. he finds the gun and decides to get rid of lucy Green. Yes. like there's some lead up and but mm-hmm. but but basically yeah yeah <laughs> i was gonna say because i'm like a lot of it is just like a normal like his brain's just going all over the place trying to yes. think and so it goes down this trail of leading him He's getting so really like frantic. it's honestly pretty in the stream of consciousness realm i think it that's is. what's kind of weird about the end because the rest of the book isn't necessarily like that and then all of a sudden we have a couple pages that yeah. are like this weird stream of consciousness where we're going yeah. <laughs> so like if you don't like that like that's just it that's what it is and yeah. so it's like going from and lucy's actions combined with it for next. sure yes because mm-hmm. lucy gets suspicious of him and where yes. his mind is going and so then she starts acting suspicious yeah. in and part i should say in part because she's starting to be suspicious about his role in sejanus's death Right. Because he says that he killed three people and she's like, who was the third person? Like she knows about Bobby in the arena or Bobbin. She knows obviously about Mayfield, but she's like, so who's the third person? And he is like, oh, it's my old self. And she's like, not buying that. <laughs> she's like, that's such a not correlated yeah, thing like, to say. <laughs> that is not, yeah. What the heck are you talking about? And so she's probably putting things together in her head. Right. In the movie, it makes that a lot more obvious because she basically says it out loud and is a lot clearer about her suspicion because even when Sejanus dies she kind of looks a little bit suspicious of yeah. the situation like, and the then that comment makes this? her even more suspicious so just to be clear like it's partly because of her survivor mode but also because she's like oh if he can kill Sejanus who I thought was his friend he could kill me basically is where she her head goes probably yeah. goes so once he finds these guns she's like she's gonna be like oh i'm the loose end yes yeah, so which she again says, they make more clear in the movie yeah mm-hmm. which yeah because in the book it's it's just a different medium so you have to convey it a little bit differently too in the book it's all from his perspective in the movie it's a movie (laughs) so it's a little bit different experience but she ends up saying that she's going to go gather some swamp potatoes or katniss that she's gathering that was one of the very on the nose moments within the story for sure but she's going out to harvest some and then she disappears he goes out to try to find her and is taking the gun is he taking the guns to get rid of them at that point or is he just going to look for her? In the book, he's not taking the guns. I was going to say, I, I think, think in the just... movie, he takes the guns and then goes to look for her, maybe. No, in the movie, it was he was taking the guns and then noticed she's not by the water because that's where the Katniss would have been. Oh. So she, he's like, wait, where is she? Maybe that's yeah. how it happens mm-hmm. then in the book. I don't so, remember. I can't sure. remember for sure. But basically, he notices that she's not there. And so he starts going And he takes out to a gun her. Yes. to look for her. Yes. Which I don't think was intentional mm-hmm. at first. It, it's very much per- portrayed as like he was holding it and then yeah. he walks off to and look for her. And then was just going to look for her. <laughs> but he does have this thought of maybe I shouldn't bring this gun. It's going to look very aggressive or intimidating. And so he's like, maybe I should just leave it behind. But then he chooses and then he not it. to. He keeps it. And so you can tell that like somewhere in his subconscious he probably is thinking more on violence lines yeah. it's just like consciously he's kind of like it. yeah and the <laughs> fact that he even brings that up is like 
uh, why are you worried about yes. looking intimidating, my if friend? If you have, like, like, no, like, if you're genuinely innocently going trust to look each for other. her, yeah, <laughs> then this should be fine. Yes. But then his the mind is thing, running. Everybody's yes. suspicious. <laughs> yes, everybody's very suspicious. And, yeah, his mind's running through. Actually, I will keep this. Where is she? Is she, like, trying to do something to me? And that's yeah, what it kind of becomes. It's a very fast evolvement mm-hmm. of thought process. Yes. And so then it really turns into he's hunting her with yeah. this gun. Which he finally acknowledges. Yeah. It says something about, like, the irony. I should be looking at quotes. but um, He talks about the irony of how quickly their relationship devolved into their own personal Hunger Games. And yes. that's where it's like, oh, you're so like, that's what we're doing yeah, now. Yeah, <laughs> you're like, you are really trying to go kill her. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, Thankfully, it addresses the irony of how quickly it happens. It's like the one thing that I'm like, okay, at least you recognize that this is so random yes, and this weird. this seems to happen so fast. But, I mean, we can see. Again, I think with Sejanus and the fact that he was willing to do it to him, yeah. like, at that point, he's crossed a line that it's hard for him to come back from. Which Lucy talks about, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Uh-huh, that we all have the natural goodness inside of us and if we cross that line into evil we all have that choice basically so to do that so she sees him as having crossed this line mm-hmm. yeah on Lucy Gray's side though she does actually put a snake in the way or at least that's what it looks like to Coriolanus. is I feel like in the book it's a little less it's more ambiguous clear. it's more ambiguous the, as to whether or not she actively chose to do that because she has continued to play with snakes and stuff. Right. And yeah. the snake ends up, I can't remember how it happens in the book, but somehow. he's So it's just the scarf is like on a tree limb or something. He's gifted her his mother's scarf that's mm-hmm. bright orange and it's on a tree limb. And it's then it's the same as the book. He reaches okay. out and grabs it, and the snake just jumps out and, and bites, and bites him. him. Yeah. But I feel like it's a little more like A, it's ambiguous just for the fact that like. He's like, oh, this was obviously Lucy Gray. And you're yeah. like, you're in the woods, dude. Like, like, there are snakes yeah. there. And especially but, later on, I will bring this up now just because it plays in. Okay. Later on, we find out it's not poisonous. Like he goes yes. to the doctor and they're like, yeah, the, it wasn't poisonous. So, like you were fine. <laughs> so obviously if she was Even doing it that, was it was like, it wasn't po- It wasn't going to kill she him. She was just trying to scare him away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then in the movie, the way that they frame it, and then it's very, the scarf is just in the middle of the ground. And yeah, it's like, like on the ground and then the snake's underneath, <laughs> underneath it. Underneath it. Yeah, it and feels so, very, very planted. Yes, and then it doesn't say anything about it not being poison. Right. In and the he movie. just screams, yeah. are you trying to kill me? And then just leaves it at that. Yeah, yeah, so it makes it feel a little more like she was for sure trying to. So, yeah. you know, I don't think Take either your of the snakes is really <laughs> good or bad because Lucy Gray definitely has that survivor's instinct. Oh, yeah. We've seen her use snakes before to do things. So it wouldn't be like beyond the realm of possibility. The fact that he whatever, however ambiguous it is, the fact that she disappears and doesn't come back. She obviously suspected him and she's in survival. Yes. Uh-huh. She's getting That's away where from we're him. at. Yeah. So then after the snake attacks him, he is go- officially like, we already mentioned he's like, he's like going to kill her, but dead. like now he's like extra angry. Yeah. <laughs> so he goes off and he basically is kind of listening for sounds and starts kind of shooting randomly based on sounds he's hearing. Um, he can't really see her. And then at some point, he actually hears a cry in the book. In the film, it actually like shows her distantly in the trees and 
and then he shoots and then she seems to fall. She goes down. It yeah. looks like it hurt her. But then when he goes over, there's no one there. She's just gone. And actually in the book, it talks about how she has these footprints that she's left up to the scarf and the snake and then they disappear. And so she's just gone and he has no idea where but he starts to hear her voice singing the hanging tree through the trees and then the mocking jays are picking it up and singing it over and over again which is just increasing his hatred for them and is yeah really psychologically impacting him with these mocking jays and so he starts just shooting in circles shooting at the mocking jays shooting at the trees all over in the film it kind of narrows down this scene a little bit where it, he's mostly just shooting at the mocking jays after lucy gray has left and he's seeing hearing the song everywhere which is just amazing because of the thought of how much that song probably terrified him later when people were singing it like the fact that when of all the katniss songs katniss could have chose to ad. sing yeah. and she ends up singing that the just propo. kind of off yeah the propo yeah. that she like off the cuff just decides to sing that one i'm like oh it's so good like there's just the ghost of lucy gray everywhere for snow at that point especially like within district 12 but in katniss herself even though they're very different people there's just enough similarities that it's just like a haunting really it's a very instead of just being like oh it's like reincarnated which would be one thing but it's like a haunting which i just i love it so much best part about the ending of this book is lucy gray and she's she's just gone he doesn't find her which all i mean all of this casts back to another to a poem yes (laughs) i was gonna say that i think that's also another one that makes it even better let me see if i can find it and at least quote the last part of that i I just pulled up the poem they say i haven't compared it they say in the book that they changed some of the words so the original Wordsworth poem uh, says, or uh, the last stanza, or rough and smooth, she trips along and never looks behind and sings a solitary song that whistles in the wind. Yes, and that's exact. how it okay. is in the in the book too. So the idea, basically, that Lucy Gray has gotten her name from this uh, poem by William Wordsworth, just titled Lucy Gray, and it says that she has these tracks in the snow that lead to a bridge and then they stop at the bridge and then disappear. And that's just kind of it. And then that last stanza where she sings a solitary song that whistles in the wind. So Lucy Gray's ending in the book, very much a callback to her ballad that she was named yes. after. So there was that. And yeah, she just kind of disappears. Literally her the footprints, tracks are gone. footprints and everything. She's just gone. And then I love that it's a solitary song that whistles in the wind. And that's like, as she, first of all, as she's running away and singing, and then the mocking jays are all singing too. Yeah. So it's kind of like, it's echoing throughout the forest yeah. on the wind. And that then the wind, yeah. 65 years later, we have Katniss sing it. And it's like Lucy Gray is still singing and haunting Coriolanus Snow. And I love it so much. It's like Wuthering Heights crap. <laughs> so great. <laughs> yeah. And I guess that's made even better, too, by the conversation they have about it. Because he doesn't, Mm -hmm. Coriolanus doesn't understand it, um, but he's hanging out with the Covey at one point, and they have this discussion about it. And a little girl in the Covey named Maude Ivory is talking, they're talking about, like, 
is she a ghost? Did she actually die? Where's the body? All of this stuff. And so there's this question of like, is she alive? Is she dead? Is she a ghost that can continue to haunt? And so, so yeah, then it almost like, it almost answers the question for him in a way Mm -hmm. of she didn't like, she, I don't know of where's the, I don't, I don't know. It doesn't answer the question, but it does. Like she became a ghost and now she's here. Haunting. Yes. I, yeah. Haunting it's just, him. It's yeah. it's awesome. It's, it's too great. awesome for words. Right. <laughs> we love some good literary stuff. Uh, Way to go, yes. Suzanne Collins. Especially when it gives Wuthering Heights vibes. Yes. Seriously, <laughs> a lot of the scene, I'm like, that might be one of the like saving graces about it. I already said like Lucy Gray and her outcome is my favorite part of the ending. So and part cool. of it is the Wuthering Heights vibes that go on in that. Love it. And the the pure mystery of it too you don't get to know i'm so grateful we don't don't include that in your short story collection yes i do not want to know what happens (laughs) never tell us what happens to lucy gray it'll ruin the whole thing yes because that's part of why it's so great that she's haunting him through katniss love it so Uh, much i'm like i never want that although i feel like she probably wrote it that way because she doesn't want to change it that way. I'm you sure. know, like, I'm, I'm sure, sure she would never. I'm sure we're not in danger. Ever. But just in that. case. Yes, please don't. Gotta throw out the, I don't the know. request. Mm-hmm. Don't want to know. Yeah. <laughs> so this is the point where all of these miracles have led him to this opportunity and he chose the wrong way. And from then on, he continues to choose the wrong direction. Yeah. He never backtracks. Now we've really crossed the line. Of course, we have 65 years of time that I'm sure more opportunities came because that's how God works. God gives us. But he just never, he never steps aside um, and allows God to take over. He just keeps going with his ambition and arrogance and selfishness and his own beliefs about the world, forcing them on other people. And his real, really his desire for survival and comfort too, Mm -hmm. because that's something that we haven't really talked about. He loves luxury and comfort and he spent so long without that that i think that's really a driving factor for him and Mm -hmm. seeking power and wealth and absolutely yeah he wants to be in control because he spent so long without control and part of that control is having nice things having what he wants eating whatever he wants and Mm -hmm. whatever he wants yeah no chaos growing all of the roses i love that he continues his Mm -hmm. grandmother's rose garden and has as many roses as he could ever want yeah (laughs) and it's so it was so creepy actually in this book too where there's a couple times people tell him he smells like roses and i was like in this scene it's like seen as like this sweet nice thing and then to katniss in many years it's like disgusting like she hates it and it's like interesting that through our agency as we choose certain things and choose to ignore the miracles it can lead us to turn those miracles into something vile if we're not treating them correctly and that i think with the roses it's taking something that's beautiful and wonderful and a special thing and turns it into something disgusting and terrifying so we'll just get through the epilogue of where snow ends up by the end of this book and it's definitely on his way to becoming the person he is in the hunger games trilogy so he ends up going back to district 12 and he agrees to go to the officer training camp but as he's on the train it ends up stopping at the capitol and he's like what are we doing here i was supposed to go to two and they're like change of plan you've been we've been asked to bring you here and while he's there he meets up with dr gall and dr gall basically explains like i thought your time in the districts was well well 
worth your time and that you learned a lot based on your letter and on the Jabberjay you sent me, letting me know about Sejanus and the Rebels' plan. So thank you for that. And it's interesting because she asks once again, earlier in the book, she asked, what are the Hunger Games for? And he kind of gave the stock answer of to punish the districts. And she's like, okay, now I'm going to ask you again, what are the Hunger Games for? And he's like, I would say it's still to punish the districts, but it's also to remind us of who we naturally naturally are as evil beings who just want to create violence and chaos. And the capital is the only power there is that can control that chaos. And it's, so it's a reminder of that fact in life, which Dr. Gall loves. That's the answer she wanted the whole time. There's also the everlasting war factor, which mm, I think is, yes. a, they, I don't think they mentioned that in the movie, really. No, but in the book, really. she believes that the war never really ends. Like, the, there are always going to be rebels fighting the capital, and like, mm. this is never going to go away, and they can't control that eternal war. Um, but the Hunger Games is a war that they can put in the palm of their hands and control. So it's kind of a way of like, controlling the whole war by showing everybody that they can control this part of it. Yes. That's probably not the uh -huh. best way to explain it, but no. but I yeah. I yeah, the, I think that was a good way to say okay, it. Okay. I think you. you it pretty well. It's all about control. It's That's all about control. what they want. That's what both of them want. Yes. They don't want the chaos that comes from outright war, which is a good thing, like that they don't want that part. We don't all But of then us they <laughs> just think that they need to manipulate how it happens instead of trying to get rid of it yeah. they don't believe it can be gotten rid of and there is definitely something that i feel like isn't addressed head on mm -hmm. um i mean like it's there but then nobody like says it is just the really strong prejudice which yeah. i thought was really mm -hmm. interesting like they talk about like to punish the districts and they talk about control and not letting humanity get out of control but honestly, like it all really just kind of comes down to racism. Yeah. <laughs> like they mm -hmm. see, they genuinely see the districts as lesser mm -hmm. and they think that they're better and therefore the districts should be put in their place and just contribute to the capital. And it really is just kind of a pure, simple prejudice that yeah. I feel like they try to hide behind this mask of protecting people when really and protecting themselves. I mean, they're mm -hmm. not trying to pretend like they're not trying to protect themselves, but it's this mask of protection and control when really they just hate district people simply for the fact that they're district and they see them as yeah. more savage. Mm -hmm. And the district started the war in their eyes. So they're like, well, so it just adds to yeah, it. you clearly are the violent ones. You're clearly the awful ones. Right. Which is so interesting when you put Coriolanus in the games and he so instinctively is one of the ones who go straight into killing. Right. Like, it's yeah. interesting that they have this idea of the districts when, like, Coriolanus was the yeah. one who was most like that. No, it almost feels, yeah, it's kind of this glaring thing. And I'm fine with it not being addressed. Mm -hmm. I don't want this to come across as a yeah. bad thing. Yeah, but I definitely like this, think it's something that is put out there, but like Suzanne calls For us just to understand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it, it's really fascinating that there's like this glaring lesson of you are all the same that he never even considers. Yes. <laughs> he, for some reason, the capital he sees is better and yeah. bigger and powerful enough. Yeah. It's just this ingrained prejudice. and Because yeah. he even talks about, 
uh, we like we tend to blame the war too, which I think is definitely part mm-hmm. of it. I think the war reinforced their idea of the savagery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But he talks about his district hating father. And in a mm-hmm. way that makes it sound like it goes back further. Like, Before I think the there's war, this yeah. long term. I mean, clearly the districts rebelled for some reason. They were clearly Fair. probably yeah. not being treated very well beforehand right. either. Yeah. So, yeah, there's obviously this ingrained prejudice, which I think is just not related to the conversation we're having, but just like a really fascinating, like, lesson that's out there, but not actually part of the story, but is actually kind of the underlying problem that yes. actually needs mm-hmm. to be fixed. Ranking <laughs> ranking people. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. <laughs> because then it flips in the Hunger Games. That's what President Coyne, she wants to create a Hunger Games with the capital children because now the districts see the capital as these violent, evil, savage people. Yes. And so it's just going to become this to flipped problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. After this conversation, Dr. Gall does say, okay, Coriolanus, you're getting let back into the university you'll be taking care of the plinths are going to take care of you thanks to janus's friendship yes sejanus's <laughs> friendship has made it so um his parents sejanus's parents want to take coriolanus on as a surrogate son basically and heir and heir yep he is now the heir to their fortune and they're going to take care of him get him through university and get them their house back and everything like it's all going great because of this sacrifice on Sejanus's part where Coriolanus basically caused him to die. So there we are. So we get all of this information at the beginning of the epilogue. There's a few paragraphs just kind of explaining a lot of these things going on. But then we have him have a conversation with Dean Highbottom. And it's at this point that we understand why Dean Highbottom hates him so much, which we've addressed a little bit already. But basically, when Dean Highbottom and Coriolanus' father, Crassus, were in school together, they received an assignment from Dr. Gall. And she asked them to basically come up with, like, the worst like the best and extreme. most extreme yeah. way to punish your enemy so they can never forget yes <laughs> what so they they've can, done wrong exactly and so that's what the hunger games came out of he says i was drunk and your father used that and got me to come up with this idea um and we wrote it up and i wanted to get rid of it i wanted to destroy it i didn't want it to be anywhere near anybody especially dr gall because i'm sure her being his teacher he could tell (laughs) that she was nuts but crassus while dean highbottom was out he ends up taking this proposal to dr gall and that's what created the hunger games and so dean highbottom is living with all this blood on his hands basically because of this at least that's how he feels i would argue that if he wanted to destroy it then he shouldn't feel guilty about it if it was someone else who put it in yeah. a p- position to actually be used. Right. It's it one thing to decision. write something down and be like, oh, but I don't want anybody to see this. Right. And it's another thing to actively yeah. do maybe something about it's it. Just, maybe but... it's a mini lesson on how the word of wisdom helps us. Like, uh... Yes, that is a there good is point. the fact that yes. he came up with it and wrote it down and like he mm-hmm. did participate in it. And we yeah. can say it wasn't his choice, but like, 
Yeah. It's always your choice. Yes. I mean, <laughs> but, but I agree. Like, ultimately, yes. I agree with you. He did not have any intention of using it and turning yes. it in. And therefore, mm-hmm. I can understand why he feels guilty. Yeah. For sure. For but, sure. But, but, but you would. He doesn't necessarily need to. He doesn't. To, need yeah. to. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't blame him for. Yeah. For a, I would encourage him to alleviate some of that guilt from himself. Yes. For sure. Uh-huh. But that is why he's addicted to morphling. And that's yeah. why he. Yeah, drowns himself on that and has a really bitter attitude because then from then on, not only is this happening and it's all, he feels like it's all his fault, but also everybody's constantly like, he's the creator of the games. He's the creator of the game. So everybody so knows for it. it. And he's like, I didn't want to do this in the first place. It was Coriolanus's father who wanted to do it in the first place. He says that he wanted the grade. Like, I don't even know if Coriolanus's father, like, yes. necessarily cared. He really, was like, yeah. I want the grade for turning it in. Yeah. He just wrote it. This so. great. <laughs> so, but I, I'm sure he knew. I'm sure they had both talked about Dr. Gall and how great she, she was. Like, I'm sure Dean Highbottom is angry at Crassus because he, like, Crassus knew that Dr. Call might use it. That there was a That potential. there was a very strong yeah. chance that she would use it. Um, and that's why he knew he would get a good grade was because she would find it useful. So anyway, all of that to say that's why he's hated Coriolanus because of that and also because he sees similar personality traits in Coriolanus that is causing the games that he's trying to get rid of to continue. Yeah. Coriolanus does the same thing even. Dr. Gall says, turn in an assignment that, yep. to improve the games. And Coriolana says, I need the grade. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> he'll do it. And not only that, he'll do it when like one of his best friends just got murdered. Because. Because of, of the this games. whole thing. Yes. Like he had an opportunity to break away from it and he didn't. And so that's what Dean Highbottom is like, okay, that's a problem. Yeah. And so just anyway, so Coriolanus hears this and they have this conversation and then Coriolanus was like, oh, well, I was really just bringing this diploma over because I was, I assume you don't want a diploma from the academy just floating around out there where anybody could see it, especially one that was given to a traitor. Yeah, it's Sejanus's Yes, Yeah, diploma. it's Sejanus's. And so Dean Highbottom takes it and then somehow Coriolanus gets him. I can't remember in the book how he does the morphling stuff. It's just in his like personal Sejanus's personal effects box and he um, he has the he doesn't dump it like in the movie but he Mm -hmm. he throws the morphling bottles in the garbage oh in Dean Highbottom's trash gotcha knowing that he'll take them out knowing that he'll take it so for those watching on YouTube, just a brief tangent, I, uh, my phone that I used to record the video on died. <laughs> so we're just going to have the audio for the rest of this episode since we're nearly done. I apologize for that. Hopefully that will never happen again. But that was me being remiss and thinking that we would get this done faster than we did. <laughs> so Whoops. let's just wrap this up. So Anyway, yes, in the book, the morphling is thrown in the trash. Coriolanus, knowing that Dean Highbottom will pick it out of the trash and take it, which he had from Sejanus's stuff. Sejanus had it from his own injury at some point. He had morphling in his case, so that's why he had it and then threw it away out of Sejanus's things. In the film, he just dumps it on the table and then like knows that Dean Highbottom's just going to take it. 
But either way, comes to the same conclusion. Dean Highbottom takes it, and Coriolanus had used his classic rat poisoning trick that he had learned from Lucy Gray and ends up putting rat poison in the morphling and then kills Dean Highbottom. It was, and I love the way it actually shares it in the book because it's just like this casual conversation and he leaves. Um, and in the movie, it just like shows Dean Highbottom die and you're like, okay, yeah, like, okay, he killed him probably. Um, in the book, it's just like this random, one of the last couple paragraphs, he's like, it was really easy to get rat poison. <laughs> it's like how he says it and then talks vaguely about putting it in the morphling bottle, but it doesn't say anything about like him like saying, I killed Dean Highbottom. It's not very direct at all, which I just love. When it's super awesome. They do that. Yeah, it's really well this done. casual conversation and then, oh yeah, also I got rat poison. Yep. That's what you need to know. I got some rat poison. And that's his first official, like, poisoning kill on yeah. purpose. Non-self-defense. Like, yes. Yeah. He's he's turning into the President Snow we know and love to love hate. hate. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah. One thing that actually stood out to me, too, before that is it, ta- it mentions that he, and this was something that took me a minute to come to terms with, um, he mentions uh, intercepting. He had sent money back home to Tigris mm-hmm. and it, he intercepts it and pockets the money for himself. Oh, and that I felt, didn't pick up on that, but that's interesting. That was so hard for me because I was like, excuse me. Yes. Like you and Tigris have been BFFs. Like the one, it's like his one soft spot in the world mm-hmm. is Tigris. And then obviously as Lucy Gray, but like Tigris is the one who they actually like pool resources, who he sacrifices for, they work together. And for him to intercept money going to her, for him to use, I was like, that almost feels worse to me, actually. Mm, Cause Dean yeah. Highbottom is just getting revenge on. Mm-hmm. Like that, he's killed before now, he's like ca- kind of gone down this path. Yeah. This guy has been a pain in his neck, even beyond that, literally yeah. actively tried to destroy his future. Yeah. But with Tigris, for him, just that action kind of against her for himself. I'm like, whoa, okay. That's kind of very much changed. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. That's a really good point, especially just because we see what happens to their relationship later on. So we had to get some hint at it souring beyond just him changing. That he does something. Yes. That's a good point. Mm -hmm. It it is better to have a hint that like he would take an action against her because like I said, it took me a minute to come to terms with it, but obviously in the Hunger Games, we see that something has gone wrong. Yes. Uh And so it makes sense to kind of show that it's starting to. And I'm sure in his head, there's a sense of like, well, I know that we're going to probably be taken care of now and I'll still be able to take care of her. It's fine. She doesn't necessarily need this. Right. Yeah. He can justify it. Mm -hmm. Super easy. Yes. But it's still still a jab at her and dismissing her Mm -hmm. in a way he's never done before. Comfort and, Mm -hmm. and face. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's where we end it. So he had all of these miracles and he even sought them out, but he wasn't seeking them out with an honest heart or a grateful heart. Yeah. And that just impacts so much. And I think part of that maybe comes from the not expecting them. Mm-hmm. We haven't talked about that on the first page. It says he doesn't expect miracles. And I think he seeks out He seeks out miracles, but we did talk about how he, like, doesn't classify them Mm -hmm. as such. And I think maybe that's the 
he doesn't expect things to just happen. He sees it as I have to make things happen. And so when something happens, it's because of me, because he doesn't expect anything to come from anybody else. Mm -hmm. So he has like part of the equation, but not the whole thing. I do want to, as usual, end with a specific quote, scripture. This one again comes from that talk by Elder Uchtdorf from this last general conference back in October. Towards the end of his talk, he says, Our path will not be free from grief, sorrow, or sadness, but we came this far by the word of Christ with unshaken faith in him, relying wholly upon the merits of him who is mighty to save. And together we will press forward with a steadfastness in Christ, having a perfect brightness of hope and a love of God and of all people. And really the eternal truth is that all of these miracles are made possible because of Jesus Christ. And even though there is a lot of negative things, this book explores all sorts of negative things about humanity and about our experiences in life. But because of Christ, because we keep moving forward in steadfastness and keep trusting in his merits, which allow for these miracles in our lives, and we take these miracles and utilize them the way God intended us to utilize them, that is what will save us in the end. And that will bring us the joy that we all seek in this life and in the life to come. Okay, so we'll wrap up there. Again, sorry if you were on YouTube and you didn't get the last little bit of our video, but hopefully enjoyed at least hearing our thoughts on the rest of this. If you are watching on YouTube or listening to our podcast anywhere, please be sure to subscribe. Also to leave a like or a review, depending on where you're listening slash, slash watching. Also follow us on Instagram at God in All Things Podcast. We do all sorts of updates there and we have some fun stories when we remember to do them like we did a little story about our trip watching ballad of songbirds and snakes also if you're interested in what i'm reading please check me out on the channel good strong words on youtube i just chat about my general thoughts on the books i'm reading sometimes kariana shows up those are the best episodes yes really <laughs> basically the shakespeare festival and then every once in a while i'll just talk about her because just watch those you, know, you should happens. have a little kariana yeah. playlist i should so that, that would be so cute yep I know I should I really should <laughs> anyway definitely check us out on there we hope you are having a wonderful wonderful day a wonderful week keep remembering to see God in all things and we will see you next time bye bye